Welcome back to another episode of Holistically Her, a women's health podcast. I'm super excited because today is actually the first day that Alyssa and I have been together in the same room to make a podcast. For those who do not know, she moved back to Florida. So she is blessing us with her presence down here in Florida. So welcome back, Alyssa. Thanks. Good to be here. Really excited to be filming this episode right next to you. In today's episode, we really wanted to talk about a topic I know Alyssa loves to talk about. It's something that we both have had personal experience with. So we want to talk a little bit more today about prolapse, which I would say is one of the things a lot of my patients are absolutely petrified to have, to be diagnosed with, and to deal with on a regular basis. So we're going to dive right in. Alyssa, do you want to tell the audience what exactly is prolapse? Yes. Um, so I agree. I have a lot of clients that come in very deathly scared and afraid of having a prolapse. And then I have another group of clients that really don't know what that is. Um, so a prolapse basically means that one or more of your pelvic floor organs or your rectum has descended into the vaginal canal. So basically what that means is that let's take the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum for an example. It has changed in its position and it's coming down through the vaginal canal. And I know personally, I tend to see a lot of uterine prolapse patients. I would say rectocele or when the rectum bulges into the vagina. That's one of the most common ones that I see as well as a cystocele where the bladder has prolapsed. But I have seen a couple of enteroceles, which I think is one of the most complicated prolapses to treat. And that's essentially when the intestines have begun to prolapse. So what do you usually see in your practice? I've actually never seen an enteroceal. Um, but I have had clients that have had all three. Um, now, I would say the most common is the cystocele, which is the bladder, bladder prolapse. So when someone's diagnosed with prolapse, Alyssa, what do the doctors usually do to classify the severity of it? How do you know if you've got a very minimal prolapse or if you have a more severe prolapse that may require surgical intervention? So there are four different grades in total. And basically what they're measuring is the amount to which it has descended into the vaginal canal. So a grade one is, or a grade zero, sorry, is considered no prolapse. A grade one basically means that you are halfway to the hymen. Grade two is at the level of the hymen. Grade three is halfway past the hymen. And grade four means that it has prolapsed outside of the body. So when I say hymen, we're talking about where it is located at the base of the vaginal canal. So at the base of the vaginal canal, the hymen would basically be your vaginal opening. And when you're working with patients, when you're trying to answer the question of, do I need surgery or do I not, where does that fall in regards to all of these different grades of prolapse? So the research favors conservative management, physical therapy being one of those, pelvic floor physical therapy especially. Um, for grades one to grade three, most favorably in grades one to two. Um, so you're gonna see the best results when you start treating it in a conservative manner for those first two to three grades. Grades three to four, four being most likely needing surgery. 
And I think the most interesting thing about that is you and I both went to PelvicCon this year, and we actually heard from a really great speaker, Taryn, about how some of these later stages, grade three and four, sometimes there's actually some things that we can do with using pessaries and physical therapy together. And I know for me, I was super curious about that because it was so hard to see that there were just some grade three patients that you felt like you could really help that weren't necessarily getting better. And essentially what a pessary is, is it's a device that you can insert vaginally that actually holds up your pelvic organs. So that way you're holding up, you're bringing up those organs to a level where now they're above the level of the pelvic floor, where those pelvic floor muscles can work more effectively in that supportive role. And I think that's the, the biggest thing about a grade four is it's past the level of the pelvic floor. So strengthening and everything is really not going to be as effective if it's already below the level of those muscles. So I think every year that passes in the world of pelvic floor therapy, we're able to really help more and more people that we didn't think we could originally. So when we're talking about some of these more severe prolapses, of course, it makes me think of what puts you at risk for having prolapse. So Alyssa, can you speak to me a little bit about what increases your risk of having a prolapse? Now, as far as what increases your risk, um, from, from a very basic perspective, being a female with a vagina puts you at an increased risk of having a prolapse. Um, having vaginal births or becoming pregnant increases your risk. Having any kind of hypermobile disorder that increases what we call ligamentous laxity that holds up your pelvic floor organs, that is going to increase your risk. And I know for me, I personally, I, I was diagnosed with a grade one prolapse. I fall into things that increase your risk that is not as common. So I lifted really heavy weights in college. I was a division one athlete. And so I was maxing out on weights all the time. And my coach never talked to me about how important it is to breathe and not bear down all the time. And so I actually struggle with prolapse from all of the heavy weightlifting I was doing incorrectly, mind you. And not only that, I, as a functional medicine practitioner, I see a lot of patients with prolapse who have chronic constipation. Yep. So there are a lot of risks, actually. Of course, the number one being that you're female. Men have it easy, of course, in this department. Um, but the most common population I say you and I treat is that postpartum population. And I myself also have a prolapse. Um, I am closer to a grade two, um, and I've never had children. I've never been pregnant. I've never had a delivery, but I am extremely hypermobile, so that does put me at an increased risk. Also, being overweight puts you at an increased risk. And like Brie was saying, constipation as well. And so making sure that we're looking at the person from a holistic lens will help with treatment and management of the prolapse, but all of these factors factors put together put you at an increased risk of having a prolapse. The most common population I think we see that really panics about prolapse is that early postpartum population. And one thing I, I like to emphasize for my early postpartum patients is there's a lot of healing that has to happen in those first few weeks. Mm -hmm. So when I'm getting frantic calls and text messages from moms who are 
two days postpartum, I usually just try to tell them to take a deep breath because even in a couple of weeks, it might look completely different. Um, I don't know if you've ever gotten those phone calls, but I get them a lot. Postpartum prolapse can be scary. There are a lot of things that we can do to try to minimize that prolapse severity. I usually like to talk to patients about splinting, using a squatty potty, stool softeners, hydration, all of those things to make sure that that first bowel movement and other bowel movements to come are as easy as possible. But the biggest thing to say is there's a lot of tissue healing that is still going to happen. And if we get to that six week mark where you're coming in for your first evaluation postpartum and there's prolapse, we will work on it and we will treat it. And there's a lot that pelvic floor therapy can do. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really good point, thinking about all of the healing that does have to happen in such a short period of time. So you spent nine months creating this human and the size of your baby was the size of your uterus. Right. And so just kind of thinking about the um, amount of healing that does have to happen, the um, the actual uterus is reducing in size. And so it, you definitely might notice that you have a little bit more tissue down there, but it doesn't mean that that is going to stay like that. And it's a really good sign as you start to progress through your postpartum journey that you see less and less of that tissue. And sometimes that tissue is simply just laxity in, in the vaginal walls themselves. Sometimes it's not even a true prolapse. And that's something that can happen at your first eval is you think you have a prolapse, you're convinced you have a prolapse, and then you come in for that eval and you don't have a prolapse. You just have some laxity in the vaginal walls and we can build up your strength in your pelvic floor just like every other muscle in your body. Um, so it's really important to understand that having a prolapse and being diagnosed with prolapse is not a death sentence. It doesn't right. mean you can't live your life like you want to. And that's coming from two people here who have been diagnosed with, with the prolapse. Um, I didn't stop lifting weights. I just started to lift weights with, you know, a better understanding of how to properly lift and really focusing on the proper form and techniques. And there's no activity out there that, I'm scared to do because my prolapse doesn't define me in any way. I'm just going to focus on doing things correctly, which is really what I want to do anyways. I don't want to end up with like a back injury and be unable to take care of my family of animals. And I think that also brings up another really good point as far as what should we be keeping in mind, right? And a lot of people will say, I've had this and this type of injury and I've been told I can't squat anymore. I've been told I can't do a sit-up anymore. How many times have we heard, you know, crunches and sit-ups aren't good for you during your pregnancy and postpartum period? And that's just simply not true. There is no good or bad exercise, especially when it comes to just movement of the body. Um, you really can't avoid lifting. And if someone isn't a weightlifter, if you are a pregnant or postpartum individual, if you have children at home, you are a weightlifter. You are lifting that weight consciously or unconsciously through your pelvic floor all day, every day, right? So just being aware of your form with those movements during your day will make the really big difference when it comes to any kind of symptoms that you might be having with a prolapse. So I actually want to circle back to what kind of symptoms might somebody have when they have a prolapse? How, one, how might one know that they have a prolapse? 
the most common symptom that we typically see is is pressure and that pressure typically is worse at the end of the day after you've been on your feet all day long after you've been lifting your child it'll feel like a, a pressure or more of a fullness in the vagina or the rectum um, so that's really the, the main complaint that we tend to see, but it's important to point out that there are other things that can happen in the pelvic floor where you can feel very similar pressure mm -hmm. fullness, such as having a lot of tension in your pelvic floor that can present a very similar way. Of course, the most obvious symptom is seeing something in the vaginal canal that seems to be falling out yeah. or that sensation that something is falling out. Um, but those are the most common symptoms that we see in here, which makes us think immediately prolapse. I, I think one of the other ones that I have heard from clients in the past has been the feeling of almost like a tampon is inserted, but there is no tampon. Um, so it's basically extra tissue that your body is aware of and it feels like something has been inserted. <clears throat> and I don't usually see a lot of pain, not a lot of vaginal or rectal pain in this population, which I think is important to, to say. Because I think sometimes postpartum patients or patients who think they have a prolapse, sometimes they are having some other pelvic floor things going on, which they think is because of the prolapse. Mm -hmm. An important thing to point out is that prolapse doesn't always come with pain. So a lot of my patients may have pain with intercourse and they just assume that it's the prolapse. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times there's some other things at play there that can be contributing to that symptom. So one of the most important things I tell patients is if you've been diagnosed with prolapse, don't blame everything on your prolapse. If you have recurrent BV, if you have chronic UTIs, you have pain with intercourse, we don't want to just assume that everything that pops up after that diagnosis is due to prolapse because we don't want to let that be a barrier to seeking treatment and care for some other things that, you know, really can be addressed and, and resolved. That being said, I will say that low back pain is not uncommon when you have a prolapse, especially if it's a very significant prolapse. So let's say closer towards that grade three or even that grade four, mainly because these organs are being held up by ligaments that are supported by our low back fascia. So when we have that pulling down sensation, it can increase pain in the low back. So that is not uncommon. Same with abdominal pain and digestive symptoms, especially with that intestinal prolapse. Mm -hmm. You can see a lot of digestive changes, constipation, pain with that. Um, but for that classic bladder prolapse and uterine prolapse that we see a lot, if it's a grade one, two, three, we don't usually see pain as a main symptom. And the other thing to point out with symptoms is usually grade one and two is completely asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely important to point out because you may have a grade one or two and until you know that you have it, it's really hard to take the steps that you need to take to prevent that from getting worse and really work on, on rehabbing the muscles and making sure that you have a good connection to those muscles. And that's one of the reasons why we are always going to recommend having a 
examination postpartum especially with a pelvic floor therapist because then you know exactly what's going on with your pelvic floor. Is there prolapse? Can you contract the muscles? Can you relax the muscles? And can you do all of that with proper breathing patterns? So once again, it's really important to note that not all prolapses will cause symptoms. So sometimes it can go undiagnosed for quite a while. Yep, yep. And the earlier that we catch these things, the better, because there is no way to reverse a prolapse once it has occurred. Um, the research really doesn't support that. I have seen people that have decreased symptoms significantly um, with using uh, the methods that we utilize during pelvic floor therapy um, and everyday life. However, we cannot reverse the prolapse itself. Um, so we can stop it from increasing in its significance and stop it from progressing to a more significant grade. So we utilize things like Brie was talking about as far as pessaries, breathing, pressure management strategies, and making sure that we're stable when it comes to your core and pelvic floor. I will say that it can seem that the grade can change, but that can also change on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so keep in mind, I've seen lots of patients early postpartum where the day I see them, it may look like a grade three. And then after, you know, working on some things, it looks more like a grade two, but at the end of the day, it's still a prolapse. It's the symptoms that are extremely important for a patient. And the other thing, to point out when it comes to pessaries and pelvic floor strengthening is it's really connective tissue that's holding up those organs. So there has been some evidence that using a pessary to lift those organs can help with the overall laxity of those connective tissues. If you think of them as a stretched out rubber band, in the early healing, if it has not been torn or severely damaged, it can show some change but we're not talking a grade four prolapse suddenly just being gone. That's, that's not realistic. Yeah. Um, so we wanna make sure that all of our patients have realistic expectations. The most important thing is that the symptoms diminish and decrease so that you can continue to live your life how you want to live it. And I guess just also knowing that surgery is not the only option especially if you have an earlier stage prolapse, just know that there are other options of treatment. And then if all else fails, if that doesn't give you the results that you want, then surgery is the next step. But making sure that you've tried those conservative methods first so that we're not undergoing an un hopefully unnecessary surgery. And when you're looking at those conservative <clears throat> methods, just to kind of highlight what a pelvic floor appointment can look like, that can look like doing strength training from very simple weights to more Olympic style weights. Whatever your prior level of function was, what you want to get back to, we will progress you through all of that strengthening. It can look at talking about nutrition and dietary changes to decrease your risk for constipation, to normalize your digestion, normalize bowel movements. It can look like working on your breathing and making sure not only that you have proper diaphragm movement, but also that you're breathing during various activities. It can look like specific core training, 
I mean, all sorts of things. That's the cool thing about working with prolapse patients is the appointments and the sessions can be very different from one patient to the next. Yep, uh, yep. And I think that's a really nice holistic way of looking at things. Um, It's not one thing that is causing your prolapse. It's a combination of things. So keeping that in mind and individualizing that approach really is helpful at improving their ultimate goals. And Alyssa, do you have anything else that you want to add before we wrap up for the day on this wonderful talk about prolapse? I just know that there are a lot of people out there that have prolapse. And like Brie was saying, that if you have um, more of what we call a minor prolapse, that being more of the grade one, um, this is something that a lot of people deal with and maybe don't talk about very much, but just know that you are not, this is not... uh, you are not broken. There is nothing wrong with you. You can improve things. Your symptoms can improve significantly. Um, we just have to do that individualized approach and um, figure out why this might be happening to you. And even if you don't have symptoms yet, now's the time to work on it because it's like when you have a back injury, we don't want to wait until we can't even get off the couch to go to the bathroom. Mm. It's going to be a lot harder to fix at that point. So even if you don't have symptoms, but you have listened to the risks for having prolapse and you're checking all these boxes, it doesn't hurt to get an evaluation. I always tell patients it's totally worth just to go to one appointment to figure out, okay, what are all the things I'm working with? You know, can I engage my core properly? How's my breathing? How's my posture? What does my pelvic floor look look like? You know, you find out so much useful information where then you can tailor your workouts, you can change some eating habits and things to really support your body and make sure that you are able to stay healthy and, you know, nobody cares if you live to 100 if you can't do anything you want to do and you're in pain every single day, right? So we want to live a long life, but also live a long, healthy life where we can still do the things that we want to do. Yep, that's perfect. So thank you everyone for joining us for another episode and stay tuned for next week as we dive into more topics related to women's health.